not cohesive. What's the word in a Co not not collective? It's uh uh, uh Nope, I don't got it. Anyway, working <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then it's gone. Exactly. Working in a cohesive way, I'm gonna say. Welcome to episode 10 of the NTL podcast. Today, we're going to get into collaborations and building a community for ourselves. But first, let's get into some follow-up. Hi, Jess. Hi, John. How's it going? It's, it's going okay. I needed to follow up on something that we talked about in episode seven, that whole episode that we got into the news when we were talking about all the sexual harassment scandals. At the close of the episode, we got into a big thing about how the rest of the world was dealing with these things and if it was spreading and interacting with the rest of the world. And I was just reading today, actually, about how the Me Too movement has kind of spread through some researchers working in California who are from China. And so it's spread into China in a significant way in the last few months. And it's interesting to me to read about it because in China, several people have been fired around it and there have been some pretty uh, significant repercussions but the people that have primarily been affected by it are university professors. That's an interesting contrast to me from how it is playing out in the United States. In film, right. Yeah, where it's in film, it's politicians, it's in the media, it's in very different industries from education. Like I haven't heard about this happening in education really at all. And one of the things that it made me think about was the fact that when we were in Korea, and I know this was the same when I was in China, teachers are revered and respected so That's much. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, like yes. much more than they are in the West. And mm -hmm. it resonates with me because so much of what allows for these sorts of things to go hidden for so long is that there's a power dynamic there, right? There's a respect, there's an authority. When you have, you know, producers for television, when you have politicians, they aren't people that you can necessarily challenge in the public because they have a lot of gravitas and professors are the same way in China or in Korea or in Asia generally. And so, yeah, it was just, it's, yeah. it's interesting to see how it is spreading because this, this is a universal problem. I think, I mean, China and Japan even more so is known for not having women in power, not having, having huge, just uh, huge degree of difference between what men are allowed to do in society and what women are allowed to do. And so it's it's interesting to see it impacting a very, very different culture in a very, very different part of the world. When you first said universities, my first thought was, well, of course, because in the U.S. and a lot of other English-speaking countries, universities are where a lot of the movements start. But when you talk about China or mm. Korea or Japan, it's very different. Yeah. Because that is where so much of the power lies, like you were saying. So it's, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, too. Yeah, and it's interesting also because it's not university students that are involved in this. It's post-grad researchers. It's people that used to go to the university. It's people who are now in academia but studied under these professors, right? So it's not like it's a student movement in the way that we would normally see it or in the way that you would have seen it. In Hong Kong in the last few years, you've had student movements for democracy and things like that. Like it's, it's not that. It's people who have gone through the system and dealt with it, not angry 20-year-olds. So, yeah, no, it is, it is an interesting thing, though. Uh, and you're right that universities obviously are a center for free thinking 
center for people who feel like they can rebel against the system. So it, it does make sense that you, people involved with universities would be more likely to get involved in this sort of thing. Yeah, that shows you a lot of the power dynamics of universities in countries like that. Yeah, professors there would have a lot more free reign, I would think. And I mean, they're backed by the government. It, it is a fundamentally different structure of university and higher education than we have. Yeah, and mindset, all of that. Absolutely. I also wanted to touch back on something that we talked about, I think in episode eight, and it was when we were talking about the rhythm of life and how we plan going forward and the timing of different things. And one of the things that I was thinking about is we kind of talked about intentionality, but I don't think we described why it's so important to be intentional with these things. And I think as I've been walking around over the last couple of weeks thinking about this a lot more, one of the things that has come to me is that there are rhythms in life universally. And if you don't plan and you don't prepare, these things are still going to happen. Like you're still going to wake up in the morning, you're still going to go to bed at night. But if you don't think about when and how you want to do that, well, then you're going to go to bed way too late and you're going to be not getting enough sleep and you're going to wake up in the morning and be tired. And if you don't think about how to structure things, you're just going to do it in a very haphazard way. And then you're going to fall into habits that you don't necessarily want. So paying attention to the point where you can decide on a new habit and develop it the way you want to develop it rather than just have something start to happen because it just happened to start in your life is a much better way. Yeah. And like you were saying with the intentionality, you have to think through what you want to do to have the intention to start. But the rhythm part is something that after the episode, I kept thinking about it and kind of separate from the episode, I was just feeling overwhelmed at one point with the amount of projects and just just general, a lot of people get this. We, I think we all get it at some point. We just feel a little bit overwhelmed. So I did yeah. the normal, okay, I'm just going to write everything down. And then I went through and not blocked off time, but I just looked at, okay, this is how much my day job and all of that. I put in the different times for things. Okay. And I ended up seeing like, okay, I actually have seven hours during my week that if I do this every day and I get into that rhythm, I'm intentional about it and I get into that rhythm of, what I need to be doing, it's just going to come second nature. And that's actually seven hours of my week that I actually want to be working on this. So I don't necessarily need to be so intense on my time tracking because I know I've tried that and I haven't been able to follow. But without being rigid, I'm still getting the rhythm and it's still helping me accomplish my goals. Yeah, well, and I I think that's a good point because having that kind of ideal schedule that I talked about, it allows you to see that amount of time and you can then think about having seven hours, you can get a lot done in a week with seven hours. Mm -hmm. And beyond even that, it's nice when you've thought about these things to when you get a spare moment, immediately know what you want to be doing. Because I've had this in the past where I finish whatever I'm working on and then I kind of stand up and look around. And if you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing right then, it's easy to plug right back in and move forward. If you don't know, then maybe you pull out your phone and you check Instagram or maybe you go get a snack from the kitchen. Like you you might do anything, right? You do whatever comes naturally from a habitual standpoint. If you have thought about it in advance and you know that you want to spend seven hours on this thing that you were talking about, 
then you know, oh, I've got a spare moment. This is the time that I want to dedicate to going into this. I don't want to let myself get distracted and just have the next hour and a half be blown away by walking around on YouTube. I need to use this time. And it prevents you from getting distracted and being pulled into the bad habits that you are trying to maybe avoid somewhat. And the reverse could also be said to rhythm and how if for instance if you're really tired and you know that the minute you lay down it's all over but if you keep moving and you know what you're going to do and you just keep moving through all of them once it's done you can lay down but you're in this rhythm because you know exactly what needs to happen and maybe it's something you do weekly or whatever but that's the automatic habitual thing that you have gotten used to and that's exactly the point like you're going to fall into a rhythm no matter what and Mm -hmm. just Choosing what that rhythm is instead of just falling into it by blind luck is a much better way to go about things because that's how you develop bad habits. I mean, if you go out and you eat some ice cream at 1 a.m. every day, like you're going to end up just doing that automatically. And it's going to be hard to get yourself to stop because you just did it three, four, five, six times. So you worked through your overwhelm and now you're in a little bit of a better spot after looking through it? Oh, yeah, because I put in my entire month. So I wanted to be intentional about where I was spending my time. And I realized I wanted to spend more time on, I mean, honestly, collaborating with people and being able to see when I can have masterminds, when I can actually go to events, how many do I want to have in my week? Yeah. How do I balance that with working and with doing this with you and just seeing friends and all of those life life commitments. How do I make sure they're all able to happen? I know I have plenty of time. I just need to break down how much time I have for each. Yeah, that's a good call because I absolutely agree that one of the things that I end up falling into if I don't pay attention to it is I don't see people and I don't do things with people because I don't necessarily think I'm much of an introvert, but I can go a long time by myself and not really care. And if you don't pay attention to it, I will just randomly start spending a lot of time by myself. And it's just not as nice as, you know, spending some time with people, collaborating with people, dealing with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the overwhelm came from. I realized I was spending a lot of time by myself just working Mm. away and I was pretty content with that. But I also reached a point where I just craved community and knew that this isn't necessarily working because I'm happiest when I'm in community. So I need to make some adjustments. Okay. So on the on the topic of working with other people and how important that can be, we mentioned recently when we were talking about deadlines and how we deal with deadlines, we're obviously in a collaboration. We wanted to talk a lot more about collaborations. I know it's a huge thing that I think about constantly because it's a really important thing when you're working by yourself, when you're working for yourself. You can't build things of value very easily without other people. It's really hard to do everything by yourself. What that ends up meaning is you have to work with other people. And so you have to figure out how to go about working with other people. And one of the biggest issues that I face with working with other people is control. Because obviously when you work with someone else, you have to give up control. To a degree, yeah. I mean, obviously you don't give up all control. You're still a participant in the whole thing. It's not like you're at a multinational corporation where you have no say in anything unless you're right at the top. But it's a difficult thing to start a project with someone and to have to hash out who has control, what is control, and who owns the project, right? Because I think whenever you start a project, it's one person's project. Or I think in an ideal situation, it should be one person's project. And so how do you think about that? When you start working with someone, 
do you say, you know, this is my thing and you're working with me on my thing? Do you say that we're working together? Like, how do you, how do you navigate that? Uh, usually, right now, the first example that came into my head was when we started NTL yeah. and how we had this talk meeting, whatever you would like to call it, where we talked about these are the areas of this blog business that we're starting that you should work on based on your skill set and these are the areas that I can work on and we both were having control of some but we were wanting feedback on parts of it and we were working on everything together and we both had total control but it felt a little bit like we both had no control sometimes and so that has helped me refine my thinking a bit because now we're doing this project played a huge role in my thinking as well yeah, and this project, you are very much running this. Yeah. And I am just a participant in this. And that's working out very well because we're collaborating, but it's not another thing that I have to own. And similar for you, you have something else that you own, but you have other people collaborating. So you get all those perspectives, but you also are able to really drive it and be accountable to yourself and to those people. You have enough of the accountability structure to not just be a solopreneur. Yeah, and this is definitely one of the things that I have been really grateful that I've learned over the last two years of working with you. It essentially comes down to, at the beginning, we both had total control and we both had all of the responsibilities, essentially. Like, we kind of assigned some tasks to each other, but I never felt like I could really make decisions without getting your approval you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that 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 starts to move you very quickly into a problematic situation because especially if you're not in the same location as somebody else and you can't talk all the time you're not constantly working together like it's a different thing if you're actually in an office together and you're spending all day there with each other you can discuss all of these all of the of the decisions that have to be made in that space as you go through the process of making decisions. But if you're not working together and you're just meeting up every once in a while to discuss these things, you don't want to spend the entire time that you're together meeting, discussing what decisions need to be made. You want to actually be getting work done. And so Mm -hmm. it's really been nice on this project. And I've, I've made it an important part of every one of my collaborations that someone owns the project and the roles are much clearer. So there's no ambiguity of, oh, you should write this, oh, I should write that, oh, you should maybe do this part sometimes, I'll do that part sometimes. There are clear roles, this is what you do, this is what I do. And decision-making powers are kind of clear as well. Um, Because like with, with this show, for instance, as we talk about it, you have full control to say, cut that out of the show, I don't want that, I didn't mean to say it like that. You have full authority to be like, no, we need to change this in the description on iTunes or or whatever it is. But I have the authority to just make decisions through the process and then you can veto them. As opposed to before where anything that I wanted to do, we needed to get approval of each other, which just slowed everything down and made everything harder. You couldn't move forward. Do you know what I mean? We added bureaucracy to our process without needing to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was not a useful thing to do. And this brings me to an analogy that I think is very pertinent to this. And it comes from the field of economics. And it's this idea of the tragedy of the commons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do do you know what the tragedy of the commons is? Yes. Okay, okay. So for those of you that don't, 
The tragedy of the commons is this idea that if you have something that is a public good that everyone owns, that everyone controls, that then no one controls it. So no one has the incentive to cultivate it and make it useful and make sure that it sustains and lasts for everyone's benefit. One of the common examples of this would be like forests or the oceans where everyone gets fish and everyone fishes and makes money and feeds themselves off of fish. But since nobody owns it, everyone's incentive is to just fish it to death. And the way I thought about this in terms of collaborating was if no one owns a particular project, no one really has the built-in need and incentive to say, I need to get this thing done and I need to get it done well. And it's on me and it's my responsibility. So I have to get it done. If it's kind of both people's responsibility, then you don't feel the ownership and you don't feel the power and authority that you need in order to get something done well. And so any kind of common responsibility is no responsibility. And so things don't get done. Yeah. And my example will be from my typical workday where my boss at first, she was giving me some projects and I was at the beginning of work too. So I'm asking her questions, saving them for, for the end of the day or whenever we check in, but it wasn't very effective or efficient because I was constantly saving all this for her when I could have just moved forward if I knew that I had the full power to make decisions, if I was empowered to make decisions. And then later on, she said, I'm just going to let you run with this. Mm. So you tell me what we need to do next steps and we can just check in. And now it's, it's running and it's moving forward at a much faster pace because I know this one is on me. I can do whatever I need to do to make it work, and then I can check in with her. But really, it's my responsibility, and I need to get it done. Yeah, and I think that shift comes from a different way of thinking about it than we originally had. Because at first, you might think, well, to move forward, you need trust. But you also want to show respect, getting sign-off from the other person, getting buy-in from the other person, working in a cohesive way is kind of respectful, like you're getting buy-in from the other person. You're not just moving on, ignoring what they want. So in, in that way, we wanted to show respect. But at the same time, it shows that you're not, you don't really trust the other person if you don't trust them to make decisions. And so I think having that shift to the perspective of, well, I trust that person to do a good job, so I'm not going to be involved with it. Just let them do it because I trust them to do a good job. So I don't need to sign off. I don't need to be involved in the decision-making. And that actually leads me to another thing that I've reformed my thoughts on since we began working together, and that is sharing information. So I am really big on communication. I think communication is the biggest reason for strife in civilization and in human society. I don't think people communicate very effectively. I don't think people listen very effectively. And that's why couples have fights. That's why children and parents don't get along. That's why most of the wrongs in the world or suffering in the world occurs because there were miscommunications that people acted upon and then caused additional problems. Right. They didn't clarify it. They let it just stew in their mind. And then they took action that was unnecessary without talking it through, which would have probably potentially solved the problem. Exactly. But... In my eagerness to communicate effectively and thoroughly with you and with other people that I've worked with, I have overshared information, I would say, because there's a lot of information that people don't need and 
even if they need it at some point, they don't need it right now. This has become very clear to me as I kind of talked to my girlfriend over the last few months. My girlfriend's life is very informative for my life. So she has dealt with a lot of issues at her work. She's a teacher. She works at a school because she has a principal and her principal will send her these emails on a Saturday night, which have all of this information, pages and pages of information. But what that essentially ends up doing, and this is unintentional, she's new to the position, she's trying to do the same thing that I tried to do with us last year, where I just wanted to communicate everything that I was thinking, everything that we were dealing with. I wanted to make sure that you were appraised, and I wanted to make sure that anybody I worked with was appraised of what was going on. But what you end up doing is you're bombarding the person with so much information that they can't use and act upon right now that they don't do anything and they can't even deal with the information you're sending them because you're just sending them way too much. So I've shifted and I think it's ideal to shift instead of thinking about collaborating as a peer, if you have a slight mindset shift and you think about yourself as managing the person that you're working with, you're not above them, but what you're essentially doing is giving them tasks to do. And one of the tasks that you're giving them to do is, hey, read this thing or hey, learn this information that I just gave you. And if you do that as sparingly as possible and only give them information that they need to deal with what they need to deal with right now, that is ideally what you want. Because in the same way that people talk about just-in-time learning, just-in-time anything, you only want the stuff that you can deal with right then. And when you think about like task managers that we deal with and productivity and stuff like that, you don't want to be piled on with all of this information that you can't deal with for three months. You don't want appointments for things that you need to do in July showing up in May because it's just distracting and not useful. So as I try to share information with you and with other people that I work with, it's been useful to prune back what I share and have all of these things that I think are important that I keep track of and only sharing the things that are actually actionable and that that person needs to pay attention to. Yeah, taking it to more of a I'm the project manager and there's all these tasks going on in the background, but what's pertinent to you is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. These specific things. Yes, exactly, exactly. If you have a project that has a lot of different moving parts, how do you deal with assigning tasks or determining who should own which parts of the project? Because obviously for this show... You are involved in the preparation, you're involved in the recording, coming up with the content. I'm involved in like the editing process after the fact. Like that's we've we've assigned those roles. But we wouldn't necessarily have had to assign those roles. How do you think about when you're proposing a new project? Would you come to somebody which is saying, This is what I need you to do? Or do you kind of want to see what they want to do? Because I know when we first started NTL, it was all a discussion about like, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? What do you want to work on? What's your skill set? And it was very much a feeling through the process. I don't think either of us had a clear idea going into it, what we wanted. Yeah, so on one end, it makes it quicker if you can tell them what to do. But on the on the same token, if you just tell someone, mm. they're never going to feel fully embedded in the process. They're not going to feel like they have any ownership. And having that ownership, having that back to acknowledgement as a managerial tactic and just having that person feel invested in it is a big part of what's going to make their work what it needs to be. So what I've always done is talk about it, collaborate in the beginning, figure out 
where they're seeing it and where I'm seeing it and making sure we have similar enough ideas that they understand where this is going, like the overall vision that I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of, and I can get them on board, but also getting their input so that we can modify it the same way that we've done a bit where you'll ask me something about the website and usually I say fine, but if I were to say anything about it or the same with the way we're going through the episodes, I would have feedback and so I get some buy-in into the show Mm. but overall there's still a direction yeah but I still get to be a part of that direction and change it in slight ways it's interesting because this goes back to that ownership problem and who has control because one of the problems with somebody kind of owning a project is that the other person that's involved in the collaboration then doesn't own it so they don't necessarily have buy-in thinking about that how do you deal with problems and dispute resolution because something that I've been struggling with is if I have a disagreement with somebody on a project that I own or that I am kind of the ultimate decision maker right they're participating in it they're doing parts of the project but they aren't really the controlling person do you put on like a a, this person has absolute rights to like like, do, do you define it? Because I know with us, for the edits in the show and things like that, you can veto something. You can just say, cut that out. But do you always clarify things like that and make it clean? Because if I have a disagreement with somebody about the direction the show should go in, like with us, or if I disagree with the way something is put together or the job somebody's doing or what they should be doing, like, how do you deal with that if one person controls it, but the person that doesn't control it is disagreeing with them? Right. Funny enough, I've just experienced this with both work and some of my other personal projects that in work, obviously other people have ownership and there are often, oftentimes that I don't agree with the tactics, but I know that I can put in feedback, but I'm still early enough in the business and coming onto the team that this is not mine to have ownership of, but I'm able to help build this. And that's important to feel a part of that. So I know in that sense, if I have something, I can say it in a different way to give feedback on maybe this would be a better strategy, but I'm not going to change the strategy. Like if they want to do it that way, that's how it's going to go. But on my personal projects where I have ownership of it, a lot of times I will And I have started talking about this on more of a, this is my vision, and I know that we are working together on this, but this is really why this started, what the idea was. And that helps too, because then you see what the overall vision is. And if you have a dispute on something, you can say, well, where does this stand? Mm. But if, if it comes to something, for instance, if I were to say to you, could you please cut this out? And it's me speaking and you say no. Well, that's when it becomes more of an issue because it's like, well, that's me speaking. If it's you and the overall tone of the episode that I want to change, then we need to talk about that because this is what you started in your vision and your ownership. Yeah. So that's where those roles are difficult to define, but really important to just know like who had the overall who started it and who is kind of leading that charge. And someone else could lead on a program design level, but you've got to know who is in each of those roles. Yeah, who kind of the buck stops with. I I completely agree. Because at a certain point, when push comes to shove, you have a point that you stop at. You know what I mean? If you want something cut out of the show, that has been established. That is your right as a 
collaborator on the show. There are other things where it's a much grayer area. So I, I think with everyone, there's a black and white end line that you have ownership of. It's difficult when you get into the gray areas. But something that I've been dancing around with this whole thing is the idea that not only do you want to resolve the problem, but you need to also motivate the behaviors from the person you're working with. It goes back to like thinking about it from a perspective of a manager. Mm-hmm. Just to take our example, if I want you to do certain things, like if I want you to really feel ownership over the show, well, then I need to give you more ownership over the show. And so if we have a disagreement, even if I don't think that we're necessarily making the right decision, it can be beneficial for me to give you more control because I want you to be excited about it. I want you to be feeling like you own it and you can take it in a certain direction. And so it's an interesting thing as you're thinking about like, it's less work for me if you take on more. And so if you get more excited and wanting to take on more, then that's good for me in many respects. And when you're working with someone, and this is something that I'm just now starting to face. Let's say you're working with someone and you have a project that's making each of you $1,000 a month, right? That person that you're working with is now kind of like your supplier and you need to keep your supplier happy because if they don't supply your stuff, if they stop working with you, if they decide it's not worthwhile because you're annoying or because the project's not making that much money or whatever it is, then you lose the money you're making. Like your project dies without the other person. And when you have somebody who is not replaceable, like in this sort of situation, you have a co-host, like I can't just swap you out with anybody else that I meet on the street. That's not a thing that's possible. If you have that sort of situation. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could. Yeah, I don't, but... I don't think that would go well. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a tone shift. That's for sure. Yeah. But if you're in that sort of situation where you're reliant on somebody and you don't have the capacity to replace them, then you really need to think about the behaviors that you want to get from them. Like, what do you want from that person? And how do you get what you want from them? Because if you want them to be creative and you want them to be participating in something and you want them to take ownership, then you can't remove all decision-making powers from them. And it, it gets you into this weird thing where you want to give them more because you want to give them more authority. And also you want them to take on more work so that you don't have to do the work. But at the same time, you don't want to relinquish all control and you don't want to give them too much because if they can't handle it or they can't take on that much, then things start to fall apart. You know that you can get it done. You don't know for sure that somebody else can get it done. Right. And an important part of ownership in my mind that I've been learning recently is giving them ownership. You need to make sure you're also not belittling them. Like you yeah. you really understand for certain people, it's accomplishment that works really well. If they feel accomplished, then they are motivated to continue and they're enthusiastic about a project. For others, it's something completely different. Yeah. So understanding that person, making sure that you're perceptive enough to understand what they are understanding mm. so that you can in turn be marrying that back to them so they can get the kind of feedback they need to take the ownership they need. Yeah, and that goes back to effective communication. Right. But it's funny because as I listen to us talk about this, I feel like it sounds as though we're talking about manipulating people a lot. (laughs) But it's a weird, there's this line between manipulation and influence where if you're trying to help someone and you're trying to work effectively with somebody, it's still technically manipulating to get them to 
tried to do something, right? <laughs> but I think people should not shy away from it because it benefits everyone if you can do it effectively. Like it makes the other person happy if they can do good work and work well with you and have the whole project go well. And so thinking about it in the very clear terms that we're describing, where you are trying to get this behavior from this person and how do you get this behavior from this person is a good way to think about it, even though it kind of strips a bit of the humanity away from it. Yeah, but, and I see the parallels between manipulating and you could say empowering or getting them to work effectively with you towards the same project. But I also see it as if you're good enough at communicating, like the point you just made, they're going to appreciate it too. And they're not going to feel manipulated because they're going to feel, all right, well, you weren't being clear and I didn't know what to do. And that made me feel stupid when really like I'm pretty competent and I'm going to be able to do this if you just tell me what needs to happen. So that's more of just clear communication and laying it all out. That's true. Any kind of guidance that you give to somebody is directing their behavior, which is manipulating them in a certain perspective. And so, yeah, I think perhaps that's a, too emotive of a term. But I think people that might hear I this... I took the optimistic side, okay? Yeah, no, I think people <laughs> might hear this and be somewhat reticent to what we're saying. But I think it is useful to think about the fact that giving somebody advice, giving them guidance, anything like that is also guiding their behavior. And doing it in a very directed way when you're working with somebody can benefit everyone involved and it should not be necessarily shied away from. Yeah. And even when it comes to friends and relationships you have, sometimes I will communicate something and I won't realize how much this person took that to heart Mm. and how that is now influencing them. And I wasn't trying to manipulate them, but I was just saying something that I believe is the way to do things. That's yeah. falling into where I see right and wrong. Well, and it's very true. And and it's extremely important when you're working on something creative that as you're giving feedback, you make a conscious effort to separate somebody's work from somebody's person. Mm-hmm. Because what you create is not you. And that's really hard for people to do because especially creative people working on creative work, they feel so much of their identity in their work like if you're a singer songwriter your songs are you if somebody says your songs are really terrible that's you that's a reflection on you associating yourself with your work is problematic because it doesn't allow you to get feedback and work on improving it because you should be really focused on not taking offense to what people are saying like if somebody was reviewing our podcast and they listened to something and they said, oh, well, on this subject, you clearly didn't know what you were talking about because you rambled and you didn't s- say this and you didn't segue well and you did all of these bad things. You want to take notes from that and you want to not say, well, this person hates me. Wow, they're rude. Wow, what an offensive thing. You want to say, okay, they broke down my work. They're not talking about me. They still think I'm great. They still think I'm hilarious. They don't hate me because they thought my work wasn't very good. And the more you can separate yourself from your work, the better you can work with other people and deal with their feedback without breaking down and crying in a corner. Right. And it's really hard to do. You can still be like, I'm fantastic, but maybe my podcast sucked today or whatever. But it's really hard to do because it's really hard to take honest feedback. And it's even harder to give somebody honest feedback when you think they might get offended, when you think they might get hurt. Again, when you want to get certain behaviors from them, you want them to be happy, you want them to be moving forward, you want them to be working hard. And if they feel like you're attacking them, they're not going to be doing that. So it's a hard thing to do. And that's why I think it's important early on to set a standard that you're going to give each other 
good, honest feedback. Constructive feedback. Yes. That's not just, this was horrible. Yes. What could be improved? Exactly, exactly. Constructive feedback is, is absolutely the key. But not getting offended by the feedback is hard, but also essential. I did want and to, go ahead. I was going to say, we were talking about collaboration. We were going to talk about this last week, but we just didn't get to it. You said you had a new collaboration that I'm very intrigued to hear about. Yeah. So it's not an entirely new thing. I've actually been talking to one of my friends about working on something for a year and a half now. And we've just now, in the last few weeks, kind of nailed something down and are moving forward. And it's an exciting new thing for me because this is one of my good friends from years ago. And he's somebody that I've always wanted to work with. And we are starting a new podcast on the Subject Radio Network that we're on. And this is going to be a fortnightly show. And this is exactly the kind of collaboration that deals with a lot of the problems that we were just talking about because we're both rather busy. We're, we're both being drawn in a lot of different directions and getting us on the same page and communicating it effectively, figuring out who's going to do what has been somewhat difficult. But we finally got it. We've got our first episode recorded and it will probably actually be out before this show goes out. So yeah, you have any uh, <laughs> any questions about it, Jess? I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, do you want to give me like an elevator pitch preview of what it is, what the podcast is about? Yeah. So this is one of my... Two- Which I know you've just decided probably, so... No, we, we decided this kind of a while ago, but we just couldn't get it done. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, this is one of my three friends who, when we lived in Paris, we would always sit around, get a beer, and argue endlessly about politics and social Uh. stuff and all sorts of things and this podcast is going to be called polis the reason why we're calling it polis is because in greek polis means city-state it's the original word that politics and policy and everything like that is derived from and we want to focus on talking about cities and how they've changed how they interact with national politics international politics how they're affecting the environment, how it is to live in a city, how different things have changed from transportation to all of the heat that comes from cities to people living in highly urban areas, dealing with noise pollution. So we're going to, every two weeks, get together and break down some issues about cities and how to work on solving some of these important things. Because where you live and the environment that you're in affects so much about your life and affects so much about your decision-making and everything you do. And we've both lived in a number of places around the world and think it's really important that we make good decisions about how we build our cities and how we live in the places that we live. And those are things that are largely neglected from the conversations on politics and on social change. People don't think about and don't talk about those sorts of things enough. And so we're going to talk about them. Oh, cool. Anyone who's interested in politics would be interested in this, but True. what you described has a lot of themes with urban planning in general that yeah. a lot of my friends would be incredibly interested in. Yeah, no, so. we're definitely going to talk a lot about urban planning, a lot about transportation, a lot about 
all, all sorts of things like that. I imagine we'll get into education policy. We'll get into a lot of things. Like we'll probably range wider than what I just described, but it'll be a good time. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I just finished our logo today. So let me send that over to you. Get your first impression on that. Nice. All right. Let me see how the, there you go. Oh, incredible. what do you think? I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. So describe for the listeners what I sent you. So it's got the square logo that says Polis at the bottom, but in the middle, it almost looks like a compass or oh. a wrist, the, the face of a watch, yet you have the city line yeah. on the outer edge, and then in the middle, you have the equivalent of like an Empire State Building for my New York people or my state's people but any big structure yeah. in the middle so you have that in the middle and then all of the rest of the city line around the edge yeah yeah no that's a good description i hadn't actually seen the compass or watch face in my thinking about it before but yeah i think it's my best logo work yet so i'm pretty happy with it yeah for sure yeah, it's actually supposed to be the Transamerica Pyramid in the middle from San Francisco, but... Oh, okay. It's, well, it's a big it's, skyscraper, that's the point. Exactly, and that's why it doesn't matter if it's the Empire State Building or, I mean, the Eiffel Tower, hopefully you can understand what that <laughs> yeah, is hopefully if you put you it on that. something, but... True. <laughs> yeah, so we've started, we just recorded, working through that whole process, and it's been a learning process, it's been it's fun and interesting, and I'll definitely keep you posted on where that goes going forward. I'm always trying new things, stepping out, always looking for feedback. Very nice. I'm excited for you. You're starting to branch out in all the spheres that you like to talk about and work on. Yeah. So that's cool. When it's nice when you've spent a lot of time and energy to learn how to do something effectively to apply that in more than one situation. Yeah. Learning a skill and then using it only in one limited setting almost feels like you're wasting it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you also wanted to talk a little bit today about building a community for yourself. Yes. So where does this come from? Yeah, this is something that we can have a much more in-depth conversation at a later time because I know this is a pretty massive topic. Yeah. But I was, like we both do, taking my walk and really thinking through on my way back to my house the overwhelm that I described earlier. Yeah. I was thinking through that and thinking, okay, well, I've just been working and working and working on my own. And the thing that's missing from all of this that would help really start pushing me forward is collaboration. With that, I thought, well, I've just moved to Miami. Yeah, I've been here five months. But still, it takes a while to get a community, to get the connections, to really start to know who your people are and what they're looking for and how you drive, all of those relationship dynamics. And I was just thinking through simply how do I start meeting people on a first level and then how do I determine who are my people who I can start working on masterminds and doing some of the activities I would like to do and yeah. virtual, in-person as well. I have some that I Skype already, but how do I keep them going and also get something in Miami so I have the in-person aspect. So if you have any feedback on some of those, how you've handled it in Ireland, how you've handled it in the past, or just general thoughts, would love to hear your perspective. Well, how I've handled it in Ireland is poorly. <laughs> okay. To sum that up quickly. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've... At least you're honest. <laughs> yeah, no, I've experienced this in a variety of ways. And it's interesting because 
it can be extremely easy if you walk into the right structure, right? So mm-hmm. when I moved to France, I was surrounded by other students, many of whom were studying abroad there or were in the master's program I was in or anything else. And they're all in a similar situation to you. And it was the same when we moved to Korea that we moved there and lots of people moved there to teach English with us at the same time. And we were all in a similar situation. So we immediately had a community. It's almost like you walked in and day one you had a community that just blossomed in front of you. I got lucky in both of those situations that it was a pretty solid community of people. So I didn't need to build too much beyond that to have a decent core social group that fulfilled most of my Yeah, by the way, Korea, in my perspective, was one of the easiest structures to walk into. So much easier than probably any other, just because of the nature of expat communities. Well, and it's not even just the nature of expat communities. It's the nature of everyone having the same experience. And so if you step into a situation, whether you're in a class, whether you're being brought out for a management training program, whatever it is you're doing, if you're going through a similar experience as other people and you can meet them and find them, you can build a community around that very quickly and easily. That's a shortcut that I have found extremely useful in certain circumstances. It's harder if you don't have that and you can't find that very quickly. And I... As I said earlier, I'm not necessarily a hugely social person. I can find myself spending days and days alone, and it's not really an issue for me. And so I struggle if I don't have that built in to Mm. reach out and meet a lot of people because I find the process of meeting people absolutely exhausting. And if I meet a bunch of people and I don't find them particularly interesting and I don't find myself building relationships with them, I find it not only exhausting but frustrating because it feels like you're just throwing away your time and you're stressed about it and you're exhausted and you're not getting anything out of it. So I, it can be somewhat defeating. It, it feels defeating if you're, you're not moving forward with it. But I think the key is to remember that all of your time and energy that you're throwing away in these sorts of pursuits, it all gets paid off if you just find one person who fits the bill mm-hmm. of what you need. Because one person will then lead to another person, will lead to another person, will lead to a community. And you can find that in any sort of circumstance. But I think going to things like meetups, going to things like you were talking about, the activities that you wanted to do. If you know there are certain activities that you want to do, finding people that are doing them and just doing them with them gives you an opportunity to meet those people, to get into a community, and to potentially, if you get lucky, find someone who's halfway decent that you can then get to know. And suddenly you have a new friend and you can build your community from there. Yeah, that's so true. If you're intentional enough from the outset, when I first moved to DC, I was going to all these meetups. I was immersing myself in all these different things, but I didn't take the time to think through what do I really like to do and Mm. what should I go do that I would enjoy either way. So it's not a loss of time. And then I could also meet people. And once I got that recipe correct, everything started going a lot more smoothly. And in Miami, I'm starting to apply the same philosophy. Like this Friday, I went to this massive, every last Friday of the month, there's a bike ride called Critical Mass. Okay. I don't have a bike, but I rented a bike and I biked for 19 miles throughout Miami and ended up meeting at least four different people who are from the outset seem very cool. Like people I would like to talk to more. And this was just biking around, and I really wanted to be there doing that. So Well, and that's, that is an extremely good thing because we are constantly talking about how limited our time is. 
and that's kind of getting double duty out of it, right? You're going out, you're socializing, you're meeting people who are potentially valuable relationships going forward in your life, but you're doing it while you do something that you already want to do. And that is a really good thing. And I think that's also a nerve wracking thing for a lot of people because it's hard to put yourself out in a social situation by yourself with no safety net, with no one to be around and just do it. That's hard to just plunge yourself in like that. But I think that that's the best way to do it because like not having anyone frees you up to meet people. If you go there with someone, you're not going to meet as many people. You're not as likely to branch out because you don't totally. have to. You see that in traveling so much too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a big thing in traveling. I have I've struggled with this whole thing a lot. And it's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. It's one of the reasons why I have set out to collaborate with so many of the people that I like and respect that I've met over the years because I have, as we've talked about, moved around a lot in a lot of different places. And every place I've moved, I've met new and extremely interesting people people that I want to maintain relationships with. But then when you move on to a new place, you're no longer around them. And so it becomes much more difficult to maintain good, strong relationships with them. And so it, it's a difficult thing if you've met a lot of people as you move around to then just rebuild again in a new place. And so I've found something that is probably not very applicable to very many people, but I've found just convince the people you like that you know to work with you on something and then you'll have all sorts of time to spend with them and talking to them. Uh, It's kind of like the same thing that I do where turn whatever your hobbies are and whatever things you like to do into your work. And so slowly over time, everything becomes work. And slowly over time, all of your friends and people that you respect become your coworkers. And that's just the weird direction I've started to slide over time. (laughs) But okay, maybe everyone won't resonate with that. But I see the value in it, obviously, because I'm here on the other side of the Skype with you right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But this next point is a topic for another show because you could go forever on it. What you were saying before of just trying to keep up with everyone who's in all different sides of the world. Yeah. One way that you've talked about doing it to me personally, at least, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, is when you got back to L.A., when you were coming from China mm-hmm. to L.A., and then you knew you were going to Ireland, you made sure to connect with all these people. And I do the same that when you're in an area, which that's just kind of, of course, you try to connect with those people yeah. if you're there. But past that, you also just can get into the flow of, all right, every so often, if this person really matters to me, I'm going to make sure that every two months or three months or six months or whatever works, it's not always going to be a structured thing, but let's make sure we can Skype and talk and stay updated on each other's lives and then see where the synergies still are. And as we continue to cross paths, maybe we can work on something together. Maybe we can just travel together, whatever it is. Well, in maintaining relationships, is a a tricky thing for me because what you described is true. And when you show up someplace, like when I go back home, back to Long Beach, it's much easier to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's hang out. Even if you haven't talked in nine months because you're in town, like you're not in town for very long. It's almost like a special event. And so you can reach out to them and do that, and it's perfectly normal. But it's harder to be like, hey, let's get on a Skype call. I know we haven't talked in four months, but let's get on a Skype call. Like, that's a weird thing. And so I find when I have relationships that are remote, there are kind of two options. There are people that I talk to very regularly, and those people I talk to often about day-to-day things. Like, in order to talk about day-to-day things, 
like people in my life, people that I met, things that happened around the city that I live in, they're things that relate to my life but don't relate to the person I'm talking to, right? Mm-hmm. For, for me to talk to them about those things, I have to talk to them regularly enough that they can be invested in my day-to-day life so that when I tell them that this person I was talking to about whatever, they know who I'm talking about because I've told them about that person before. They have the context. Because if you have those day-to-day kinds of relationships with somebody and then you don't talk for a month, well, then you have nothing to talk about. You can't have that sort of relationship unless you're talking all the time. So there's a different kind of relationship that's much easier when you don't talk as regularly. And that's when you talk about things. Like with you and I, I feel like it's that sort of thing where we don't need to talk about day-to-day stuff because we can talk about, hey, there's this thing I've been thinking about. Or like the guy that I've started collaborating with that I mentioned, Ben, Like I could talk to him at any point, no matter how long it's been since we've talked, because we can just be like, yeah, what about this thing that's happening in politics? And just go on about that. And it's nothing personal about us. So we're talking about things. And those relationships I find much easier to have because I don't need to talk to somebody every day. Right. Yeah. And I have a lot of those that kind of straddle that line. I can always talk to them about a random issue. And if I see something, I'll shoot it over to them by text or WhatsApp, whatever the platform. And then next time we talk, if we do get on a Skype call, it's always more useful if we're going to see each other in the not so distant future, because then it's a constant, you're updating each other. But even if you're not, it's still a, when we talk, we talk through that. We talk about some little updates. How's everything going? Mm. But then we talk about all these other topics that we're both interested in that we had binding us together from the get-go. Well, and that's, that is a really important thing, I think, because people that you associate with through certain activities, like I had friends back home who like I played volleyball with every Sunday that was a thing we did or that I was in marching band with back in the day and if those were the only things that I did with you when I stopped doing those or I left the country I don't talk to you anymore because our relationship Mm. is based on the activities that we did or if it's based on those day-to-day kinds of things those relationships I think are shallower to a certain extent and you really have to have things that are not personal to talk about in order for a remote relationship to continue to flourish. And it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to always have that. And yeah, I think Skype or some sort of video chat is just so much better than just messaging with people. And and it's nice that so many applications now have it built in and it's so much easier considering how much better data reception is everywhere these days than it was 3 4 years ago. Like when I lived in France, I didn't talk to very many people very often because I had to get home. I had to get on my laptop. I had to get Skype open. I had to get them on Skype. Then you get on a call. Now you can just FaceTime Skype on Exactly. Your Anywhere I am, somebody calls yeah. me on Facebook. It's like, okay, they call me on Facebook. And now I can video chat with them randomly in the middle of a park. That is something that did not exist three years ago. And that has made maintaining relationships much, much easier because you don't have to schedule something. You can just have it as it happens. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to switch real quick to a question I have for you about the entire building community. So when you are trying to build a community and you don't already have this structure, you're trying to find people who have similar interests or even who want to collaborate with you. Have you found a process that works or do you have thoughts on a process that works? Because right now I'm trying to find masterminds and this is something that I in many ways need to facilitate because there's not a lot that I have found in Miami. So how to go about when I don't have an activity surrounding Mm. it, finding someone who's going to be on the same page 
besides just like making a Craigslist ad, which I've been thinking about a lot, even though that's not the most effective way <laughs> uh, to do it. Yeah, but I'm like, how gotcha. do I find community? <laughs> um, well, and this is something to take a page out of your book that I want to talk about much more at length another time. Like masterminds are something that I've never had or never been involved with that I think are really interesting. And I kind of feel like what I've been doing with Subject Radio and with you on the show and things is kind of building my own mastermind around myself without understanding what I'm doing really. <laughs> okay. I don't have I don't have a good answer for you about how to do that because everyone that I've ever fallen into with that sort of thing, what's happened is I've met them. I've found them to be valuable one way or another. And this is something that I do try to do with relationships is identify what value the person is bringing or what potential value the person can bring. So there are certain people that I would never talk to about productivity that I would never talk to about my working life because it's just not going to be fruitful to talk to them about that. So I understand that in that relationship, that is not the value add. And there are certain people that I will not talk to about politics. Like you and I don't really get into big political things very often. Like it's just not what we do. And so understanding that allows you to not look for things that people are not going to provide you. And so I think when you're getting to know people, identifying which people can provide that sort of value, whatever value that you're trying to look for, is an important thing. But throughout this conversation, you've used the word community a lot. And I've never thought about any of these things in a kind of community way. I've always thought about relationships much more in a one-on-one way because I find it much more valuable for conversations, for anything to do with relationships, to discuss things with people one-on-one. And I think communities can be valuable, but it's really difficult to facilitate the development of a relationship between two other people when you're not one of them. Mm. Yeah, I, I see that point. When I think about community, right now I'm thinking totally on the track of work because personal yes I I have a similar thought to you you see what value they bring but most people I have right here are personal contacts they're not work contacts so I can't talk a whole lot about work so when I'm trying to have more people who I can collaborate on work projects with that ends up being many people virtually through Facebook groups and it starts out as me one-on-one, I'll talk to them, but they are in this larger community. The same way with a mastermind. The one mastermind I'm currently in, we all met each other through a podcast that was a big community and they put us together. And now we have our own little community and we've brought other people into this community and it's still going as this separate thing. So there are the one-on-one dynamics between each of us, but we know each other in a community dynamic completely. If you just took us one-on-one, we would still have a lot to talk about, but it would be a very different dynamic than the community dynamic we're used to. And I do think that like, having a community is, is valuable in that way. Like Having multiple viewpoints, when someone gives you feedback, another person can immediately say, no, you're full of crap. Like That is a useful thing. I think that's hard, or I've found that hard. Because if you're talking about it in a work context, it's hard to keep things on track when you're having a conversation with more people. It's really easy to keep things on track with two people. It's still pretty manageable with three or four. If you get more than four people, it becomes hard to have a directed conversation. And something that I started doing 
a year ago when I have conversations like Skype conversations like with you or with somebody else, I will often know that I'm going to have a conversation a while in advance. And I will think about what things do I want to discuss because I don't want to get into a conversation and just have the time pass and think about later, oh, these are the things that I wanted to talk about. Because Mm. if I only have a conversation with somebody once or twice a month, I want to be able to, you know, use that value that they offer. I want to be able to ask them things that relate to them and have a good conversation with them. And so thinking about that in advance is useful, but like projects with subject radio, mm-hmm. obviously this podcast and the other podcast that I'm on and the new podcast that I've just started are all on subject radio. We all are in a Slack together where all of you guys can discuss things. None of you guys have sent anybody else a message as far as I know. <laughs> Nope, I don't It's think all so. been dealing with me because I'm the person that is actually on the shows with you. I think that's a natural thing. But it's funny, as I've thought about Masterminds and things more, I have more and more thought about the various shows on this network as kind of being a weird, haphazard mastermind. Like, for me, I'm obviously talking through a lot of ideas with all of you guys. But you guys have the potential opportunity to pick each other's brains because you guys are all doing something related and somewhat similar with these shows and still i haven't managed to get you guys to develop any sort of relationship and you've you've met one of my other co-hosts at least but yeah there's it's it's not an easy thing to do okay that that point that you said i would love to talk about on another show because i think we can go into how to actually foster community and what are some tactics for it and get into ways that we're trying but on masterminds I keep saying the word masterminds because it's just what's out there in all of the different circles right now. Yeah, it's the terminology that's being used. Right. It's probably getting a little overused, honestly. But when I'm thinking of mastermind, I understand it to just be a collaboration where you're both trying to help each other elevate your game in whatever endeavor you're doing. Yeah. And so we are very much in a mastermind together. Mastermind of two. The tip, yeah. The typical mastermind is probably around three or four. Because uh, when you get past that, like you said, it gets too much. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Is the point? Like it doesn't matter how many people. If you're able to collaborate and you have someone, and they're reliable enough to be on a call every week or however often you want to do it, that is the biggest variable. Exactly. No, I completely agree with you. And, it, and it's extremely useful because like, feedback and having someone be able to walk you through and explain things that you don't know about, like dealing with people that have different expertise and different backgrounds and having them provide you insights that you wouldn't be able to get on your own very quickly or easily is invaluable. It's absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Okay. You want to wrap this one up? I mean, yeah, I think we've covered everything. You want everything. to try to do the walkthrough and give people the main points that we discussed? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, but I know we should. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Today we talked a little bit about collaboration, about building community. And the main takeaways, for me at least, were that you need to try to manage the people you're collaborating with. Think about how you should interact with them. Yeah, and collaboration when it comes to the control and ownership, really knowing how to differentiate who's the owner and which roles you're taking and being very clear in your communication is very important and empowering the person who's not the full owner to still have some ownership in the project. Okay, 
All right, guys, that's all for this week. So you can find our show notes and everything we talked about on the show, as always, at subjectradio.com slash NTL slash 010. The end of our like first season, our first 10 episodes. Woo! Yeah, I'm really happy about it. I'm glad we got to this point. And as always, we would really appreciate it if you'd share it with your friends, if you find value in this episode. Yeah, yeah, let people know. We're trying to foster a community here, trying to foster some conversation. So share us share us around. Let, let people know what's up. I will talk to you next week. Yeah, Jess? All right, see you next week. All right, have a good one. All right. Okay. Yeah, I always, I always like don't want to start. <laughs> you know. And then you get into the flow, and it's like okay. Yeah. Because once you start, you're like I'm committed. Yeah. Then you're I'm in. Talk. Then you're in. It's it's yeah. You can't you can't shut up after that point. Uh. Okay. <laughs> what episode? This is ten. Yeah. <sighs>